Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. Oh, and first pitch rushing. Deep left field. This is Welcome Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes now, here's Frank, Scott, and Chris. What's up, and welcome into Fantasy Baseball. Today on Tuesday, May 2nd, Frank Sample joined by Scott White. Today on the show, we're going to recap all of Monday's action, take a look at the April leaders and just the overall offensive landscape. It's been a couple of weeks since we've talked about that team name Tuesday. You know the deal. Before we get started, please like this video and subscribe on YouTube if you haven't already. If you're listening on the audio side, download, follow, and leave a five-star rating. We really appreciate it, and it helps. Let's jump right in. In a year that has been so improbable, the impossible has happened. Scott, the impossible has happened, and you're going to tell me about it. it was it impossible? I don't know. Okay, well, I'm going to tell you about Brett Brit- yeah, I can't say his name. Brett Beatty. I'm going to tell you about Brett Beatty. I don't think what he did was impossible, but it may have been improbable given the way Buck Showalter had used him so far. So what happened here is in game one of a doubleheader against the Braves Monday, he went two for five with the home run, his second home run. And it was a it was a rocket. It was a line drive well over the left field fence. 108 miles per hour was the exit velocity on that home run for Brett Beatty. What's interesting is it was off a lefty. It was off a lefty. He also had a line out that was hit 106 miles per hour off the lefty. He's making some hard contact off the lefties. Uh, he, he, he did also start game two. He went one for four with the double. But I, I think what's most encouraging here for Beatty is that, okay, first of all, the last time the Mets faced a lefty starter, he was in the lineup. I think it was his first start against a lefty all year. And then we have this performance here on Monday where he actually produces big time against a lefty. So my hope is 
just like we've seen with Francisco Alvarez here recently for the Mets, Francisco Alvarez uh, has now started five of seven games behind the plate for them. His playing time ramping up the longer he's around. I'm, I'm hoping that's about to happen for Brett Beatty too. And uh, hopefully he's winning Buck Walters' trust against left-handed pitchers so that he can get get that big bat in the lineup on an everyday basis. And if that happens, then it might be what allows him to take off finally and produce like we have all hoped he would. Again, that is Brett Beatty. The average exit velocity entering Monday's action was 90.9 miles per hour. So I have a feeling that might go up quite a few ticks there, Scotty. The hard hit rate looks very good. The one thing that I've noticed in a very small sample last year and this year, I mean, really, it's it's only 21 total games, so it is a very small sample size, is the ground ball rate so far in Brett Beatty's career is 54%. I heard this somewhere. Honestly, it might have been the Welsh on a different podcast. I, someone was talking about Brett Beatty, and they said, they asked him about uh, launch angle, and he said, I just want to hit the ball hard. I don't care where it goes. If it goes into the ground or if it goes in the air, I just want to hit the ball hard. So it's good that he hits the ball hard, but you know, at some point we would like a, a few more line drives or fly balls because obviously that would be more conducive to power. Brett does, Beatty, does it, he, does he, it seem? he strikes me as a guy though, Scott, kind of like a like Juan Soto where he could probably maintain a higher home run to fly ball ratio and produce a decent amount of home runs even with a higher ground ball rate just because he hits the ball as hard as he does. So that's my suspicion. Yeah, he was, prior to the call-up, he had an average exit velocity of 100 miles per hour in the minors, right? <laughs> Not that he's going to yeah. do that in the majors, but uh, yeah, he he can really put a hurting on that ball. I was going to say, do you feel like with a lot of premier bats that are first First breaking into the majors, do you feel like that's our most common critique of them, that they put the ball on the ground too much? It, it seems to be something we're saying a lot with these guys. Like it's just, it's as, as part of the development process, it's something that comes later. You'll find minor league hitters who put the ball in the air a good amount. I mean, Anthony Volpe was one of them. But I think particularly for the, like the, the, the real high exit velo guys. It just, it just seems to be something we see a lot. I don't have like, I, I haven't seen like macro analysis on that to confirm my suspicion, but just thinking through them case by case, it seems like that's a point we're making with them quite often. Yeah. I mean, Jordan Walker was the first name that came to mind too, right? Like that's part of the reason he was sent down. He's hitting the ball hard, but a lot of ground balls as well. So uh, it might be, I don't know if it's the top thing, like obviously, you know, I know you pay a lot of attention to plate discipline, and obviously I do too, so like strikeouts and walks is probably the main thing that I look at, but uh, yeah, it would help. You know, if you're hitting the ball hard, we obviously want that ball in the air. The roster rate for Brett Beatty is 76%, and last week, Scott, you said that that sounded about right. Do you still feel that way? Or should he just, Seven, be, a, should he just be a must-roster player in all formats? Uh, boy, that's pretty high. Uh, I, 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 think, I think there's room for it to go up though. I mean, if my suspicions are confirmed and we start seeing him, like how many lefties did the Mets have on the schedule this week? They have three on the schedule. 
well, that was before that was before the the rainouts kind of reshuffled things, the doubleheader and everything. But you know, if if we see him in the lineup against the next lefty, that's even more reason to buy into Brett Beatty because I do think he has top ten potential at that position, even as a rookie. Here are the names rostered just ahead of Brett Beatty, rostered in more leagues than him. Who would you rather have, Beatty or Josh Young? It's hard to say I'd rather have Beatty, but I do I do think Beatty has more upside, and I do have a lot of skepticism about what Young's doing right now. I might try to flip Young and pick up Beatty. Okay. That's what I might do. What about Beatty versus Brandon Drury? Beatty. Beatty versus Key Brian Hayes. Beatty. Beatty or Brendan Donovan? Beatty. The more I say it, the weirder it sounds. (laughs) Beatty, Beatty, Beatty. All right, with that being said, uh, let's move on from the New York Mets to my New York Yankees. Domingo Herman was amazing up against the Cleveland Guardians. Eight and a third, two hits allowed, one earned run, one walk, six strikeouts. He took a shutout into the ninth inning until it was not a shutout anymore. 13 swinging strikes, on 88 pitches, nine on the curve, three on the changeup. Limited the hard contact in this one. It's a good sign for Domingo Herman. His velocity was actually down a little bit in this one. The curve and the fastball down around one mile per hour. Getting lots of strikeouts is Domingo Herman. Six plus strikeouts in five of six starts. But Scott, the overall number that remains the the eyesore, the standout for Domingo Herman is the ERA. 4.46. The whip is fantastic. 0.90. For Herman, more than more than a strikeout per inning, uh, but he is allowing a lot of barrels and a lot of home runs this season. So, obviously, a start like this, he's sixty-one percent rostered. What's your reaction? Is this someone that you know, if he's available in your league, you have to go out and get because while he gets a lot of whiffs, he also gives up a lot of home runs and pitches in Yankee Stadium. Yeah. So, what's going to give first there? Because if if you're missing bats to the degree Domingo Herman is, you can probably afford to give up home runs. You know, I mean, Garrett Cole was still a great fantasy option last year, despite having this giving up the second most home runs at baseball. Uh, his ERA will probably be a little on the high side, but are these whiffs going to continue? Because entering this start Monday, Domingo Herman, just to put it in perspective, how good his swinging strike rate was, seventeen point three percent coming into to Monday start. The only three pitchers with a better swinging strike rate than that, Spencer Strider, Jacob deGrom, Shane McClanahan. <laughs> so Domingo Herman was right behind that illustrious trio in that very important measurement. And so I think now that he's actually had a really good start, the dominating the Guardians over eight and a third innings, two hitting them, uh, I, I think this is the cue to pick him up. I'm not saying it's you know a slam dunk or anything because his track record is what it is. The exit velocities are what they are. There there are reasons for concern here, but he has sustained uh, he has sustained this really dominant measurement. Like a, he, he's he, you know he's he's sustained it for long enough now that we need to take it at least halfway seriously. Some interesting names that are on the most added list for starting pitchers after the weekend. Obviously, lots of waiver wire and fab claims going through over the weekend. Tanner Bybee, Logan Allen, Gavin Stone, Josiah Gray. Where does Domingo Herman rank among that list, Scott? Well, toward the bottom. 
It would be a close call between him and Josiah Gray. I think after this start, I'd have to lean Domingo Herman over Gray. Gray obviously has a major disadvantage just pitching for the Nationals. But you're taking the Guardians pitchers over Herman, I'm assuming. Yep, I would. Okay. Uh, one note on Gavin Stone. He hasn't actually been confirmed yet. I saw there was some quotes from Dave Roberts like, yeah, we're going to, an extra day off for Dustin May could do him well, but we haven't actually named a starter yet. I still think it's going to be Gavin Stone on Wednesday, but it hasn't been confirmed uh, for whatever that's worth. Scott, before we started, I said, I think I might have a little bit of a Yankee rant in me. So uh, do you mind here? Do you mind if I just kind of let you know? Adam Azer wouldn't ask if I mind. He wouldn't ask for my consent. <laughs> well, he would I just ca- lay it on me. I care about your consent here, Scott. Uh-huh. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway. I'm gonna pull an Adam Azer. How do I say this in the nicest way possible? Aaron Boone stinks. He is not a good manager, <laughs> man. I just this is like my the old school take inside of me, Scott, where like Domingo Herman is cruising in this game. Two hits in the ninth inning. All game, he's allowed two hits, right? And Mm -hmm. strikes out the first batter in the ninth. He allows a single. Aaron Boone runs out of the dugout. I got to take him out of the game. I understand that this is a part of the game now. A lot of pitchers, they're, you know, okay, the tying run comes up to the plate. They're taking these guys out. But just the old school kind of baseball fan in me, Scott, is just like, win or lose with Domingo Herman there, right? Especially when the reliever that you're bringing in (laughs) Is Clay Holmes? That's that's another part of it here, Scott. That's your best reliever, right? No, no, he's not. Clay Holmes has not been good this year. He is his walks per nine over four, struggling to throw strikes. He's who is who is the Yankees' best reliever? It's Michael King, in my opinion. Okay, and I think both him and Ron Marinaccio, the numbers will bear it out that they've been better than Clay Holmes. Marinaccio's walk rates even higher than Holmes. That is true. Michael King's is not, by the way, though. So (laughs) I would have went to Michael King there. It's just, it's just frustrating because the Yankees actually wind up losing that game. Clay Holmes gives up two runs there, and then Wandy Peralta comes in and walks in the go-ahead run, and it's like, I would have rather just seen like let's ride it out with Domingo Herman. Eighty-eight pitches at the time. No. 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 So this is his. So so they're in the the ninth inning at this point. How how many times has the lineup faced him? Like if if Aaron Boone did make a mistake there, it was bringing Herman out for the ninth inning in the first place, not removing him after not removing him for a fresher arm, a high leverage arm, when there was a runner on base. I, I think that was the right move, even if it had the wrong result. So I can't. Aaron Boone may have his other flaws, but I, I don't think this particular move was it. Sorry, Frank. I have to disagree. Oh, God. Scott's going with the process over results in you know this one. I can't Brady blame Little you. got fired because he left Pedro Martinez in <laughs> in that game. And basically, no manager has done. Was that, was that Grady Little? Do I have the name right? I don't know. You're, you're, you're asking the, the wrong Yankees. guy. Come on. Wasn't, wasn't that the Aaron Boone game? The Aaron Boone game when he was a batter, not a manager. Right. Aaron Bleepin' Boone. Yep, Aaron Boone. Anywho, I don't know. I may, I may be mixing up Yankees Red Sox history here. Apologies if I am. Uh, you, I mean, you you might not be. It's just like I don't know. I don't have those names just like ready to go off the top of my head. And I'm sure someone will email or tweet at me. Oh, you're a fake Yankee fan. Whatever. Um, <laughs> the point here is that I wanted to say that I don't think Clay Holmes is very good, and he has not been very good this season. I know the ERA looks okay, but walks per nine four and a half at this point. 
His swinging strike rate is down to 10.4% so far this year. His ground ball rate, which is you know, really what he's relied on to, to be as good as he has, uh, at least he did last year, is uh, way down as well. So I think the Yankees have other options. I don't know if it's going to happen right away, but I could just see. I think Michael King is the best reliever in that bullpen, and he had like a seven-out save last week, and he's been really good. So I'm just putting everyone on alert. If you have Clay Holmes and you have an expendable roster spot, maybe go out and get Michael King on your team, or if you play in a, a deeper league, maybe just speculate and pick up Michael King anyway. We had some rough outfielder news here on uh, Monday, Scott, as Aaron Judge was officially placed on the IL with a right hip strain retroactive to April 28th. So, I mean, I think we kind of speculated that was going to happen at this point. He took batting practice on Monday, so hopefully it's like a minimal IL stint or maybe a little bit more than the minimum. And then scary news is Ronald Acuna left game two of that doubleheader after getting hit by a pitch in his shoulder. X-rays came back negative. He's undergoing more tests, but uh, they've already ruled out any type of fracture. So that's great news for for Ronald Acuna. Uh, I'd imagine he misses at least a couple of games here. Um, and in that yep. first game, by the way, he went three for five and hit a... They tracked this home run at 448 feet, Scott. It was like a third deck, upper, upper deck home run in City Field. I... I think it was more than 448 feet. Well, what, in, what impressed me even more than the distance, re, officially or unofficially, the distance, hit that ball 115 miles per hour. I'm a total nerd now. I just I care about how hard it came off the bat, not how far it goes. But yeah, that was that was pretty scary with Ronald Acuna. Chris Towers was texting us saying, I think he just dislocated his shoulder on a hit-by-pitch, which I've never seen before. And yeah, I mean, the way he was reacting, it seemed like, I don't know, like if, if just the, the, you know, the way he tried to get out of the way of the pitch or maybe the way he flinched after getting hit, if he had like really messed up his shoulder somehow. But uh, they did x-rays, they did imaging already, and it seems like he's fine. So it was just, it was just full of drama, I guess. That Ronald Acuna, always full of the drama. Potentially. Uh, well, we're waiting on an update on Corbin Carroll, too. He underwent an MRI on his knee on Monday, but no results yet on that, which, I don't know, it scares me a little bit when they don't reveal those results right away. It's like, uh, are they hiding something? That's just my speculation, but I hope I'm wrong, and I'm hope, I hope Corbin Carroll is perfectly fine. We spoke about a bunch of outfielders recently to pick up, and Brent Rooker, who is the most added player on CBS, he's up to 84% rostered, and... Rightfully so. He's just mashing home runs right now. Jack Sawinski, who we repeatedly talk about. And the other name is Jaron Duran, who did it again on Monday. He went two for four with another home run, his second of the season. And he's not just hitting home runs, Scott. He is launching them. He's hitting moonshots. 109 mile per hour exit velocity, 434 feet, basically straightaway center field in Fenway, which is the hardest place to hit a home run there. Uh, he's batting 404. With an 11-13 OPS so far, the strikeout rate is down from last year. And something I feel like maybe we've swept under the rug is he's completely changed himself as a hitter this year. Uh, the launch angle is way up. The ground ball rate is down. The fly ball rate is up. The launch angle, overall launch angle, went from 7.6 degrees last year to 16.3 for Jaron Duran. And he is hitting the ball up the middle more, which you know, typically we want, you, we want hitters to pull the ball for power, but... If this is what's working, then keep doing it. The barrel rate entering Monday, Scott, was 13.2%. I don't know if he can maintain that, but this Jaron Duran is a different version than we saw last year when he was just kind of getting his feet wet in the majors. 
I mean, he's a guy who's remade himself a couple times before because early in his minor league career, he was uh, con- basically a contact and speed guy, and then he con- and then he went all Willie Mays Hayes in Major League Two and started trying to hit home runs, and it worked really well at first, but then he he kind of stumbled to the finish line, and it it seemed like it set his career back more than it helped it. So does uh, his his chances of really breaking through as a full timer back? But that he's stuck with it and is still able to impact the ball as well as he is, hit it as hard as he is, I think is very encouraging. And I don't really know what to make of it. I, I, I guess I, I guess I'm still a bit shell shocked because of getting burned by Jaron Duran in the past and not wanting to buy in. Like everything almost everything about it almost seems too good to be true. Like if if this guy is really as good as the data suggests he is now, then why are we only seeing it at age twenty six? You know, it's not like it's 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 not like it's somebody who got buried in the minors like a Brent Rooker situation and just never really got a chance. Like Jaron Duran's gotten several chances before and has never done anything like this. So I'm a little skeptical. But we're to a point now, I mean, he, he just raised his batting average up over 400, like he said, where, you, you know, you just got to go with it and see where it takes you. Yeah, so Jaron Duran is up to 50% rostered, and I guess the reason I've given him the edge so far over Sawinski and Rooker is he did have some prospect pedigree, and it's like, those other guys didn't really. So I understand, like, you're right, Scott, the journey to get here definitely has had lots of ups and downs and changes and in approach and all these types of things, but Durant did have the most prospect pedigree of that group. Looking at the most dropped outfielders from this weekend, Jesse Winker is a name that stands out. Riley Green, I'm getting lots of questions about. Um, Jorge Soler is another one. What do you think about dropping any of those three for Jaron Duran? Yeah, I'm fine with it. The one I'd hesitate most with is actually Soler. It's not even Riley Green. I mean, Riley Green has had close to a full calendar year with a sub-700 OPS. So I was I was just doing a dynasty stock watch. It's something I try to do once a month during the season. And five risers, five fallers, five prospects who are rising is basically how the, the structure of that column. Riley Green was among the five fallers in dynasty leagues. I'm not saying like it's a final verdict He's not going to live up to his upside. But I, I imagine if you tried shopping Riley Green in a dynasty league right now, the offers would be lacking. It's tough because you're you're kind of at a crossroads in dynasty with Riley Green where if he continues to go down this path and you know 120 games in, he's batting 248 with a 669 OPS in his major league career. If he continues to go this way, then his value is just going to continue to plummet. It's like maybe mm-hmm. you could still turn his name value and his prospect pedigree into something in a dynasty league. So right. I, I hear but what you're I, saying. I don't, it's, it's kind I don't of tough. think it's worth it to try. I think you're better off just keeping your fingers crossed that he has uh, a, a Jared Kelnick-like breakthrough. I, I mean, in Kelnick's case, he was still producing those premium exit velocities that hinted of his potential a little stronger than 
that we're seeing with Green. I mean, Green, the velocities, the exit velocities have been middling. The strikeout rate has been escalating. Uh, the 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 launch angle has been terrible. There's there's another one, right? What happened? Green. What happened to spring training, Scott? All those good signs of fly balls and line drives. The ground ball what, rate. What happened to spring training is what I've been asking about a lot of players so far. <laughs> yeah, I have to say, not Jared Kelnick though. That's true. But I, I mean, the point is, the point is, uh, we've kind of taken this. We've kind of veered down the dynasty path here with Riley Green. <laughs> yeah. In single season leagues, I don't think. I don't think there's any. You're under any obligation to hold on to him. The only the only hesitation would be in dynasty leagues because you have to think big picture. You have to think how invested you are in him in the first place, and you have to give him a longer leash. Given that most prospects his age haven't even reached the majors yet, and if Riley Green himself hadn't reached the majors yet, his stock would still be sky high, presumably. Yeah. Uh, but that that's all more dynasty related analysis, and I think. Uh, I think if you're looking for a way to get Jaron Duran on your roster, dropping Riley Green in a in a in a um, redraft league is totally fine. All right, let's take our first break. When we return, I have a few other deeper league hitter ads to ask you about, Scott, and another pitching prospect on the way. We'll do that right after this. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property, it's the location and neighborhood. Homes.com offers in-depth neighborhood guides with detailed video overviews, comprehensive narratives, and unbiased information from a multitude of sources. You thought we go in-depth with player analysis on Fantasy Baseball today? You haven't seen anything yet. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood complete with a video guide. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. When looking at local schools, they offer test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads. Nothing beats a weekend away with the family in the great outdoors, whether it's camping, hiking, river rafting, or anything in between. With third-row seating, nobody is left out. The entire family can experience the thrill together. And nobody wants a dead phone. Available dual wireless charging pads make it so nobody gets stuck and we can check our fantasy baseball teams together. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome back, and just a reminder to follow us on TikTok if you haven't already, tiktok.com slash at FBTPod, or just search FBTPod on TikTok. If you're watching us live, we've got the uh, QR code in the top right corner, so you can just take your phone out. Scan that, and that'll take you uh, right to that. So please follow if you haven't already. A few deeper league ads, Scott, on the hitter side of things. Mauricio Dubon, revenge game. I'm only bringing that up because the Astros broadcast talked about it multiple times. They're like... 
Clearly, Mauricio Dubon was very excited to face the San Francisco Giants, and they wanted to tell everybody about that. Three for five with a double, <laughs> two runs, and two RBI. He's batting 317 so far this season. Nixon Zell went, uh, I wrote three for three. He might have got another at bat in there, so I will check that out. But he had at least three hits, and he hit his third home run of the season. The reigning National League Player of the Week, 18% rostered, is Nixon Zell. Jason Hayward, I know this sounds so gross. He hit his fourth home run, and his StatCast page is covered in red. So, just wanted to bring the name up there. Michael Bush, he's sticking around for a while for the Dodgers as J.D. Martinez is on the I.L. He had at least two hits and his first career steal. And Manuel Valdez, two for four with a sock and a shoe. His first of each in his career. First career homer, first career stolen base. Last year in the minors, he hit 296 with 28 homers, eight steals, a 918 OPS. Scott, I know he's a name that you brought up multiple times in the past. Again, deeper leagues for now, but anything you'd like to point out on this group? Dubon, Senzel, Hayward, Michael Bush, and Valdez. I I don't think any of them is worth rostering in a 12-team league, but anything deeper than 12-team leagues, I would have interest in all of them. You have to know what you're getting into with Mauricio Dubon. There's not going to be a lot of power there, but if if he... You mentioned he's hitting 317. So, like the difference between him and uh, and Jared Duran is exit velocity, basically. So, like if you if you have if you have a high line drive rate and low ground ball rate with Jared Duran's exit velocities, you're going to bat 404. If you do it with Dubon's exit velocities, you're going to bat 317. I guess I don't know. I'd rather have him met and and melt. <laughs> and Manuel Valdez between the two because I think there's more upside there. Uh, it's a questionable power profile, even though he hit 28 homers in the minors last year. The exit velocities are suspect, and he's like five foot eight, five foot nine, something like that. He packs a punch, though, Scott. He's a he's a pretty stocky dude. He hit that home run 427 feet on Monday. Yeah. So I I hope the Red Sox stick with him, uh, but for. It, for for as productive as he was in the minors last year, he hasn't gotten a lot of hype from the prospect guys. Hayward, yeah, you mentioned how StatCast page is all lit up in red. And he is supposed to be the prime beneficiary of J.D. Martinez's injury. Like Dave Roberts said Hayward is going to... He cited Hayward specifically as the one who needed more at-bats and who would benefit from that. Jason Hayward's remade his swing a few times in his career. So it was easy to ignore that report this spring, but like the proof is in the pudding, right? Like he is in the entire stat cast era, which goes back to 2015. Now he has never produced expected stats anywhere close to what he's delivered so far. I think skepticism is warranted, but if you play in a deep five outfielder league, Jason Hayward deserves to be on your radar. And I mentioned Nick Senzel as yet yesterday as somebody who also uh, meets that very specific criteria. His average exit velocity is actually like first percentile. It's <laughs> bad, very bad. But you know he's playing every day. This was his third home run. He's getting on base a lot. It's it's hard in those fifteen team five outfielder leagues to keep all five spots filled, and I think Nick Nick Senzel has put himself in the discussion for that, if nothing else. Something that is interesting about his profile so far, Nick Senzel, the XB 
XBA, expected batting average, entering Monday was 297. So he does make lots of contact. Yeah. He hits a lot of, I'm lots of line drives. Line drive rate is very high. 23%. Over a, over a small sample. Right. Um, yeah. He's pulling the ball more this year, too. So you pull the ball and you hit line drives, it's probably going to lead to uh, a higher XBA there. But yeah, I yep. mean, I, I agree. I think with Valdez, too, like if you play in a 12 team league and you need a middle infielder, I'll just. Throw him on the scout team for now, and let's let's just see if he continues to play every day and, and what he does with it, because I'm very interested. Uh, I mentioned I, I picked him up in two 15-team leagues yesterday. I started him in both, so I just kind of lucked my way into this huge game on Monday, and man, I, am, uh, I hope he continues on with it. A, another pitching prospect, Scott, is on the way. Uh, this name, not nearly the same level of hype and pedigree as the others that have been called up recently. But Bryce Miller will apparently make his Major League debut for the Mariners on Tuesday. And sounds like he'll make multiple starts here uh, on the team. They want to see what he has to offer in the rotation. Actually, last week when uh, the Welsh was on, on, on Wednesday night and Thursday morning's podcast, uh, I brought Bryce Miller's name up following the Robbie Ray injury. And I'm like, maybe, because, you know, they seem to like him and uh, maybe they give him a shot. Um, his numbers in the minors this year, not good, Scott. They're quite bad. Last year, they were really good, though. Across three different levels, 3.16 ERA, 104 whip, 163 strikeouts over 133 and two-thirds innings pitched. Your thoughts on Bryce Miller, and where would you be looking to add him, if anywhere? He is widely available. Yeah, I mean, he, given how bad he was at AAA this year, his latest start was his best, but it was still nothing amazing. I, I don't think he'd, he'd be a high-priority ad for me. doesn't hurt to target an upside guy if you have a spot to play with, but I can't think of too many rosters where I'd have that spot to play with. Uh, let's see how he performs, though. I mean, he has a big fastball. It can reach triple digits. It can be a swing and miss offering in its own right, which I've mentioned before is a good indicator of upside. Did you actually mention the stats he had last year? I did, yes. Between A ball and double A, yeah. Yeah. So I'm trying to remember spring training, how he did, if it was any better. And I'm not finding it. Oh, here it is. I don't think the spring uh, training numbers were very good. I, I looked them up earlier. Yeah. He had a good strikeout rate, but but yeah, gave up some damage. So I, I don't think this is a rush out and Adam situation in standard size leagues, but Bryce Miller has upside if if uh, if he starts showing signs of it, then maybe he does become a priority ad. And what a matchup on Tuesday night, Scott. It's Miller time. Mason Miller going up against Bryce Miller. So, uh, you know, my eyes will be glued to the, I can't even say TV screen. I always watch games on my laptop now, so it is what it is. But I will be watching the game, and I'll report back and let everyone know what I saw. Uh, I actually put this on the top of the rundown, Scott, and I completely missed it. <laughs> I should I wanted to lead the podcast with the fact that Bryce Harper is confirmed to make his return on Tuesday. So better late than never uh, on my part mentioning it. But originally we thought he wouldn't be back until July. Harper makes it back in just 159 days following Tommy John surgery. Let's keep the expectations in check for now. Uh, could say, take some time to shake off the rust I was watching the Phillies broadcast on Monday night, they were interviewing Bryce Harper in the dugout, and he, he even admitted, he's like, last year I had thumb surgery, the first month back, I had, you know, it took me some time to get going. So, 
even he kind of admitted that it, it could take some time here. What I want to do, though, Scott, is maybe look to buy low on other pieces in the Phillies offense. The Trey Turners of the world. Trey Turner, yes, he was a first-round pick. He's also off to a pretty slow start in his Phillies career, so I don't know how low you could actually buy him, but I would peek around and see uh, if you can get him for a little bit lower than his draft cost. Kyle Schwarber hit his seventh home run on Monday night, but he's you know batting around 200 and off to a bit of a slow start as well, so... I kind of just like what this does for the Phillies offense overall. Would you be looking to buy low on any of their pieces right now? Yeah, I don't think I've lost faith in anybody in the Phillies lineup. So it's certainly Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber, if you could buy low on them. I, I think one person we haven't talked about much actually is Nick Castellanos. Now, I don't know that you can buy low on him because he's performed so well, but he had another two hits here Monday, batting average up to 319. And looking at his stat cast page, everything looks a lot closer to 2021 when he had that career best season with the Reds than last year. Uh, certainly the expected stats, you know, expected batting average 291 versus 250 last year, expected slug 464 versus 395 last year. He's looking like Nick Castellanos again. And like I said, I don't I don't know that you can buy low on him, but I, I'm very encouraged if I drafted him. Yesterday, Chris brought up the possibility of trying to sell high on Bryce Harper's name value, and we did get a trade question uh, in the inbox, the email inbox, from a listener named Rob, and he said that he is in a 12-team, 6 by 6 categories league, the extra categories being quality starts and OBP. Obviously, that's the OBP is something that would help a player like Bryce Harper. Uh, he was offered Will Smith the catcher, and Andres Jimenez, he is in, this listener is in last place. His current catcher is Elias Diaz, and his current second baseman is Vaughn Grissom. Scott, what do you think about that return for Bryce Harper? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, Harper, in theory, is the best player there, right? Yeah. What do you think of that return, Frank? <sighs> when I first read it, I was like, I guess it's fair. Again, there is some risk with Bryce Harper, but... I don't know, man. Like the whole point of trying to sell high on the name of Bryce Harper is probably to get a better return than this. I, I guess when you factor in the needs aspect that he's upgrading from Elias Diaz That's to true. Will Smith and he's upgrading from Vaughn Grissom, who may not even be around that much longer, to, to Andres Jimenez. Uh, I mean, it meets a couple needs there in one swing. And it, I think with that context... It's fair either way, but I think with that context, I lean yes to pulling the trigger on it because we don't know how long it's going to take Harper to get back to being Harper, really, as you pointed out a minute ago. Mm -hmm. Let's get into some other news and notes. Justin Verlander is lined up to make his Mets debut Thursday against the Tigers. It's very fitting. Justin Verlander going up against his uh, former team there. Corbin Carroll underwent an MRI on his knee, but no news yet on the results. Both Mike Yastrzemski and Brandon Crawford were placed on the IL. Yaz with a grade one hamstring strain. Crawford with a grade one calf strain. Luis Severino will likely rejoin the Yankees rotation within two to three weeks. He'll begin a rehab assignment either Wednesday or Thursday. Rysel Iglesias is likely to rejoin Atlanta's bullpen later this week. And bad news for the Astros as they placed Jose Urquidy on the IL with right shoulder discomfort. And then Luis Garcia left Monday's start after just eight pitches. Scott, is there anybody in the Astros farm system or, I don't know, any type of pitchers we need to be paying attention to here for them? 
Uh, none that immediately comes to mind. I know at some point they're going to be getting Lance McCullers back soon, but I don't even think he's gone on a rehab assignment yet, right? I don't think so. I know Brandon Belak was recalled, and he pitched in relief on Monday, four innings, two runs, six strikeouts, but yeah, there's not much upside there. Yeah. I, I checked out Forrest Whitley to see what he was doing in the minors. That, but That's whose page I was pulling open just now. It has not been good. Right. Yeah. Nope. So not much there. Be him. Not much there for the Astros. Kenley Jansen was available to pitch Monday after dealing with back tightness over the weekend. Mookie Betts started at shortstop once again, his fourth start and sixth appearance. He now has outfield, second base, and shortstop eligibility on CBS. <laughs> so uh cross that one off if you had that on your bingo card because I certainly did not. Carlos Carrasco is making progress and could rejoin the Mets rotation next week. He's been on the IL with a small bone chip in his right elbow. Harrison Bader may be activated before Friday. That's been the target date for a few weeks now, but Bader seems to be ready to go and is 57% rostered. That's probably the right amount of roster rate for for Bader. It might be too high. It might be. I think it needs to be rostered in category leagues like Given the landscape this year, you know, Bader is someone who's very fast and he can, you know, rack up a bunch of steals, I guess, in a short amount of time, but doesn't really offer much outside of that. Frankie Montas may be ready to begin a throwing program soon. He underwent arthroscopic surgery on his labrum in late February. He's 16% rostered. If you have, I don't know, just a bunch of IL spots you can play with, then why not take a shot on Frankie Montas? James Paxson, how about that? Uh, Nah, maybe not as much. He will make another rehab start at AAA before the Red Sox make a decision on him. Uh, he's struggled overall out on his rehab assignment, but in his most recent outing, five and a third scoreless with eight strikeouts, 11% rostered. Just to put this in perspective, the last time James Paxson was actually fantasy relevant, Adam Azer was still hosting this podcast. So keep that in mind there when it go. comes to uh, James Paxson. Let's take uh, another break. And when we return, we'll look at the April leaders and... Take a look at the offensive landscape so far this season. We haven't done this in a while. We'll take a look at batting average and home runs to fly ball ratio steals. Where are those at at this point? We'll do all of that right after this. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. Worn by players like Michael Harris to meet the demand of elite ball players, the New Balance Fuel Cell 4040 V7 is a versatile option. The 4040 V7 is built for the athlete who needs responsiveness and ability to cut and run at their full speed. The model features a fuel cell foam underfoot and a synthetic and mesh upper to provide breathability, comfort, and a snug fit as you round the bases. The fuel cell midsole features nitrogen-infused foam specifically designed to propel athletes forward. Learn more about the 4040 at newbalance.com. Welcome back, and let's take a look at the April leaders. And before that, just a quick look at the landscape, see what's going on in baseball right now. The triple slash across the league, 247 321, 405. Last year for the entire season, it was 243, 312, 395. So when you consider as the weather starts to heat up, 
slugging percentage is probably going to go up. But what stood out to me here, Scott, is batting average has actually come down since the first couple of weeks when we were looking at everything and, you know, BABIP was up and batting average and obviously the shift restrictions that we have this season. I started thinking, oh man, like, what is the batting average going to look like this year? It's actually come down quite a bit from when we were looking at it earlier on in the season. Yeah, that's interesting because I do think that BABIP is still high, right? Uh, I closed out the page I had open, but um, BABIP is still 298. And I feel like it was more like 290 last year. Let me double check here. BABIP last year. There we go. Yeah, it was 290 yeah. last year. It's at 298. 290. So, and, and what was it last April? It, it was probably even lower than 290. Uh, pulling that up real quick. It was 282. 282. So BABIP is 16 points higher April over April. That's huge. So I'm surprised that there is such a difference in that, that it's only a four point difference in now. Now were you doing the season long batting average comparing it to 2022 or were you doing yeah. just April? I was doing the entire 2022 versus just okay. April. Yeah. So last April, uh, the league batting average was 231 versus 247 mm. this April. So that's more. Yeah. That's, that, that's, uh, that's more in line. Yeah, that's pretty big. Home run to fly ball ratio so far this season, 12.2% last year, 11.4%. And Scott, do you still have those April numbers up? Because if you can tell me home run to fly ball ratio just for last April, 10. 10%. We're 10%. at 12.2% we're at right now. Yeah, I, I think that was about the highest for any month last year. Oh, and man. <laughs> it, it, as... as we pointed out a few times uh, during the preseason. Last April was per, like it was unseasonably cold around most of the country, even into May last year. Now there were some cold games early this year too, but I, I feel like things warmed up. You know, but by the end of the month, things were pretty much uh, more seasonable, seasonable, more <laughs> more appropriate for the time of year. And uh, it wasn't it wasn't the same sort of situation we were dealing with last year. So let's see. I was going to go through month by month and see if there was a higher home run to fly ball rate than twelve point two percent in any of them last year. Let's see. Mid season July was eleven point five percent, so that was still lower. June was twelve point three percent. So June was. Last June was just a tiny bit higher home run to fly ball rate than this April. And no other month was that high last year. So home runs are clearly looking, it's clearly looking like home runs are up this year. Yeah. And for those, you batch of balls could change everything. Don't, don't want to, don't want to (laughs) completely remake your strategy because of this information, but it is. That's true. It is noteworthy. Yeah, and, and for those watching, you might have just seen, I just started like cracking up because I'm thinking about, I'm like, pitchers have already gotten blown up so much only in the month of April. And mm-hmm. as the weather heats up, again, this is assuming that the ball remains the exact same as it was in April. There are going to be more home runs hit. The home run to fly ball ratio is only going to rise as the weather gets warmer around the country. So I'm just wondering aloud, how many more pitchers are going to get blown up? And what do those starts look like as we get into the summer months? And it's 
frankly, it's pretty scary to think about. Uh, there have been 602 steals so far. Um, that was in the month of April. We're on pace for roughly 3,500 steals this year, which would be the most in a season since 1987. Last year, there were 2,486 steals. We're on pace for almost 1,000 more this year. 1987. Yeah. You weren't born that then. No, I, I was not. I was three years old <laughs> in 1987. Uh, and that's, I mean, the 80s were an era of very different baseball than I've, I've really known my whole life. And stolen bases were a much bigger part of the game then. Power was, by the standards we've always known, very suppressed. Now you're getting the best of both worlds. You're getting home runs. It's, it's like a it's like a roto player's dream here this year. <laughs> yeah, but, but for my teams, it's been a total nightmare. Yeah, it's like a couple of years ago we had juiced balls, but now we have like juiced bags too. So it's just like you're getting everything this season. Anyway, let's take a look at the leaders from April. The batting average leaders uh, among qualified hitters: Luis Arise, four thirty eight. I know he's missed some time, but when he's played. He has um, done a great job in his first season with the Marlins so far. Shout out to Matt Chapman, who's batting 384. He was the uh, leader in the American League in the month of April. And looks like he might be having that uh, little breakout contract year right there for Matt Chapman. On the yep. home run side of things, Max Muncy led April with 11, though Pete Alonso hit his 11th of the season on Monday, first day of May. So didn't count. At least not for this exercise. The run scored. No Corey Seager. No problem, Scott. Marcus Semien, 25 runs scored in the month of April. Adolis Garcia, 24. Your two runs leaders came from the Texas Rangers without Corey Seager. It's pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. And Adolis Garcia had like 30 RBI, too. Yeah. Guess what? He was the RBI leader for the month. Got 30 for Adolis Garcia. Randy Rosarena checked in uh, in second place with 28. The steals leader was Ronald Acuna with 13 over the course of a full season. That is a 78 steal pace for Ronald Acuna. There were four other players who had 11 steals in April. Cedric Mullins, Jazz Chisholm, Estere Ruiz, and Jiwon Bay. That is a 63 steal pace over a full season. Remember our bold prediction, Scott, that three three players would have 50 plus steals this year? We might yeah. have like 10 with 60. It's crazy. Truthfully, I thought that was a slam dunk. Yeah. I didn't think it was that bold, but but yeah, I mean, I, it's it's actually happening. If 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 I get nothing else right, at least I can <laughs> at least I can uh enjoy that I was Totally spot on with the, the the stolen base explosion that would blow everybody's minds when they actually saw it, because that appears to be what's happening. Let's move over to the pitching side of things. And the ERA leader was Sonny Gray at 0.77. Garrett Cole, uh, just behind, not just behind him, but behind him at 1.11. The whip leader is Jacob deGrom, 0.76. Tied with Clayton Kershaw, also 0.76. Just a touch behind those two. Zach Gallen at 0.77. The wins leader, we had four different pitchers with five wins in April. Garrett Cole, Clayton Kershaw, Shane McClanahan, Joe Ryan. I guess we haven't talked about Clayton Kershaw enough. Like, five wins, tied for the whip leader right now. The guy has been tremendous. I mean, it's been the case. Whenever he's healthy the past couple of years, he's still really, really good. It's just... 
how long is he going to stay on the mound? That's that's the question for Clayton Kershaw. Your strikeouts mm-hmm. leader in April, Kevin Gosman with 54, Zach Gallen with 51. Uh, obviously, after Monday, it, it is Spencer Strider once again, but again, that start came in May. And your saves leader, Josh Hader. Looks like he's back to being Josh Hader. 10 saves in the month. Anything uh, on those leaders, Scott? Yeah, I wanted to point out for Matt Chapman because I have him as one of the five dynasty risers from the first month. Not only is the strikeout rate down uh, to the lowest it's been since 2019, which obviously helps contribute to the batting average, but he has he has become opposite field minded and and really up the middle minded, which isn't isn't the best uh, be, isn't the best approach for every player, but for somebody who produces, you know, top of the scale exit velocities like Matt Chapman does, I think it's, I think it could be a really uh, a really good thing for him. And one thing I noticed is last year, all the home runs he hit, which was twenty, how many home runs did he hit last year? He had twenty seven home runs last year. None of them to right field. Mm. All of them straight away center to left. All 27. This year, the five home runs that Chapman has, four of them to the opposite field. So that that's how much his approach changed. He's gone from hitting zero of 27 to the opposite field to hitting four of five to the opposite field. And it makes it much harder to defend. Uh, and uh, with, with without seemingly compromising his power, again, because he hits the ball so hard. I think Matt Chapman could have a breakthrough similar to the one Austin Riley had a few years ago. Of course, a much older age. He's he's already 30, but better late than never. Matt Chapman, a month into the season, is in the 100th percentile in average exit velocity, hard hit rate, ex-WOBA, ex-slug, and barrel percentage. I have never seen an expected slugging percentage this high in my life. 775 right now for Matt Chapman. And it's interesting you bring up the note about going to the opposite field more because uh, I noticed the same thing with Bo Bichette. He had a five-hit game on Monday, and he's going to the opposite field more of the season as well. So I wonder if it's like a organizational philosophy change. I I know the two of them work together this offseason on on their swings and approach. So uh, that would make sense. And by the way, I'm just, when I'm saying Matt Chapman had zero to the opposite field yesterday, I'm, I'm kind of fudging it a little. Like two were slightly to the right side of dead center, <laughs> but you get what I'm saying. Like I'm just looking at the spray charts here, and and four home runs, four of the five he's hit this year were further right than any that he hit last year. Gotcha. All right, let's wrap up with some leftovers here, Scotty, and uh, we will get to your team names in just a little bit. Drew Smiley continues his strong run. This one at the Nationals, seven innings, one run, only two strikeouts for him, uh, and he got rocked on opening day he has been great since he's allowed two earned runs or fewer in each of his last uh five starts that is your smiley the era is down to 2.83 the whip 0.91 and i wanted to point out with uh blake snell he turned in his first quality start of the season yes it was against the reds yes they were on the road i get it they're not that impressive um and blake snell was not perfect in this start six innings eight hits three earned runs seven strikeouts zero walks that is what we need to see from Blake Snell is kind of throwing more strikes 
living in the zone a little bit, um, you know, not giving up free passes, 17 swinging strikes on 101 pitches. And he changed up the pitch mix in this one, Scott, throwing the curveball and the changeup more, which is not something we typically ask of Blake Snell, but it kind of worked in this start, at least in terms of the control. So anything to add on, on Blake Snell and Drew Smiley? Look, he's going to throw two-thirds of his pitches for strikes. Snell's going to be fine. I don't think he's going to throw two-thirds of his pitches <laughs> for strikes, and so I'd rather not see him make his slider his fourth-most-used pitch. But, you know, I, I guess if you were looking for a reason to be encouraged, then then he's given you one here today. I did want to point out with, because I, I, I'm not sure if you mentioned him here, but he's in the notes, Charlie Morton. I did not mention him, but yeah, you could talk about him. Charlie Morton didn't have great results. He hasn't had great results all year. And this one, four and runs in five and a third innings. Uh, started well, kind of fell apart mid-game. He's throwing his curveball a lot more lately, like about 50% of the time. And that's, of course, his best pitch. And I've noticed his ground ball rate. Remember, it was it was an aberration last year, and he gave up a career high in home runs by far. His ground ball rate's back to normal this year. So I think that's encouraging. He's not missing as many at-bats as we're used to seeing Charlie Morton miss. And so, you know, if that doesn't improve along with it, then I, I guess we'll continue to see mediocre results with him. But uh, I'm not ready to give up on Charlie Morton yet, I guess is what I'm saying. Last name I wanted to mention here was Jose Barrios, and perhaps... I got too excited too soon. Maybe we got too excited too soon, Scott. At the Red Sox, five and a third, 11 hits, five earned runs, two home runs allowed against Jose Barrios in this one. Lots of hard contact again. 91.2 was the average exit velocity in this one. And oddly enough, he really leaned into his four-seam fastball in this start. And if you look at his pitch breakdown this season, his four-seam fastball has given up a lot of hard contact. So I just thought it was an interesting choice. It's... Maybe he didn't have a feel for his other pitches in the start, and he just had no choice but to go with that. But the sinker has been a much better pitch from this year, and the slurve didn't really seem to to have much life in this one, Scott. So, um, yeah, yeah, I, I have way too many Jose Barrios like pitchers on my teams, <laughs> particularly in the roto leagues, and it's uh, it's not a it's no kind of way to live, Frank. No kind of way to live. Yep. It is a, it's a rough one. For the hitting leftovers, Sean Murphy in game one of that doubleheader went two for four with a double dong, six RBI. He is batting 282 with eight homers, 19 runs, 22 RBI, 16% walk rate. Uh, he had a 22% barrel rate entering Monday, which is elite for any player, let alone a catcher. So looks like it's happening, Scott. The breakout it's season happening. for Sean Murphy. Uh, speaking of a breakout, I don't know that I completely buy it, but Alex Verdugo is off to a great start this year. He went two for five with a sock and a shoe, his fifth home run, his second steal of the season. He's batting 311. He's got 24 runs scored in 881 OPS. There's just been incremental improvements that I noticed. The fly ball rate is up slightly. The barrel rate is up slightly. And the pull rate on Alex Verdugo's fly ball fly balls this season is also a career high. It's 23%. That's been 18% in his career. So it's incremental improvement, Scott. But if he hits a few more fly balls and he pulls those a little bit more, then you know maybe we can see a career high home run season for Verdugo, which it's not maybe. saying much, but it, it probably would be like 20 homers or something. It's such 
small gains though in those areas and, and you know it's, it's not even the normal areas where we expect to see gains to to have career high numbers like this i because of that, I would consider Alex Verdugo a sell-high candidate right now. Like He just doesn't look, under the hood, he doesn't look different enough for me to think that he's going to be able to sustain this all season. Obviously, selling high, the emphasis is on the word high. Like, Don't sell Alex Verdugo for what you paid for him. Sell him like he is, I mean, look, in points leagues, he's been the eighth best outfielder so far. Seventh best outfielder so far, and that was before today's numbers. So, like, you you should be able to get quality in return. If not, just hold on to them and see where it goes. But uh, that's that's where I'm that's where I'm leaning with Verdugo right now. Speaking of the Red Sox, Masataka Yoshida is on a an eleven game hitting streak. He's batting four nineteen with three home runs during that span, and has batted second in the lineup in three of the past four games for the Red Sox, which. I think is notable because starting the season, he was their cleanup hitter. Uh, they've moved Devers down to the cleanup spot. Uh, Bo Bichette mentioned this earlier, five for five with a sock and a shoe, his seventh home run, his first steal of the season. In a year where everyone is running, uh, Bo Bichette is not. Only 43rd yeah. percentile in sprint speed. So uh, I thought that was kind and of unlike with And unlike with Ozzy Albies, it hasn't been an issue of him not getting on base. Like he's batting 350 almost. So yeah. I'm a little unsure what to make of that. The sprint speed, 43rd percentile, as you said, it's, it's the worst it's ever been for him. He'll probably pick up the pace, but it's a little, it's it's a bit curious that this was his first one. Yeah. What I'm thinking is Bobachet, he might still have a great season, but just do it slightly different than we thought. Like maybe it's uh, 10 to 15 steals with like a 300 batting average and 25 to 30 home runs, which is still a really good season, but. You were probably hoping for like a 25-25 type season out of Boba Shit. Let's wrap up with some uh, bullpen updates here for the Braves in game one. A.J. Minter got the ninth inning with a two-run lead. He gave up a solo homer, but did convert his sixth save of the season. For the Mets in game two of that doubleheader, David Robertson pitched the final two innings with four strikeouts for his sixth save. For the Cubs, Brad Boxberger pitched a clean ninth with a four-run lead and he looks like the guy for the Cubs right now. Uh, he's 29% rostered. So if you're in a eh, you know 12-team Roto League or anything deeper than that and you need saves, I think Boxberger is an option. The regulars in the bullpen uh, for the Guardians, Emmanuel Class A picked up his 10th save of the season. And for the Blue Jays, Jordan Romano entered the ninth with the game tied, and it was not tied anymore because Alex Verdugo hit a walk-off home run against Jordan Romano who has been a little bit shaky at times. He's got like a 3.65 ERA. He is the guy, but like, eh, let's pick it up a little bit, Romano. No more runs. Let's wrap up with uh, to stream or not to stream. Lots of names here on the list, Scott. As you can see here on Tuesday, the ones that stand out most for me. Uh, actually, yeah, there's a lot of interesting names here for Tuesday. You got Tanner Bybee at the Yankees, who you should just mm-hmm. pick up anyway, but he's still... Widely available. So. Yeah, I mean, he's he's number one because he's Tanner Bybee and the Yankees are without right. Aaron Judge. Tyler Wells at Kansas City would be my number two choice. Uh, mm. Fly ball pitcher in a big park there, and he's been pitching well. And uh, third choice, I guess, would be 
Hayden Wesneski at Washington. There's a lot of interesting ones though, like Joey Lucchese at the Tigers. I don't. I think it's fine. I like the Millers. I know it's Bryce Miller's first start, but he's at the Oakland A's. They're pretty bad. Mason Miller going up against the Mariners. I kind of yeah. like those too, but uh, yeah, Tanner, Tanner Bybee's at the top of the list. I agree with you on Tyler Wells. And uh, let's say, yeah, Wesneski, number three. On Wednesday, not too many names here. Uh, there's still a lot of TBDs for Wednesday as of now, but I think Seth Lugo going up against the Reds is perfectly fine. Kyle Gibson at the Royals is okay. Yep. Uh, I prefer Gibson to Lugo, I think, but they're both they're both good. If I had to pick a third, Braxton Garrett. No, up I, I want to. I just want to pick a third. I mean, maybe yeah. one of those TBAs will be worth doing, <laughs> but nah, they're, they're nobody else worth. Nobody else is worth it here. Braxton Garrett, his last start out against the Braves, rain shortened. He looked really good against them, but eh, probably don't want to trust that. Team name Tuesday. Let's wrap up here. There were actually a lot of Austin Powers themed team names uh, because, because of Tanner Bybee's name, but some of them I couldn't say mm. on air. So uh, you know who you are, <laughs> whoever sent those in from uh, <laughs> these are from Apple podcast reviews. First from Roddy C 77, me Casas, Sue Casas. Yeah, we've, we've had that one before, but I actually have a team named that something, I, something similar to that. I think it's solid. Uh, the battle of Manessis. Lemon Terang Pie. Alrighty. And the Beatty Bunch. Sure. From Colin M13, Fernando's Riley Bad Judgment. <laughs> it's just like, it's really bad judgment. I guess that's what it's supposed to say, but. Okay. He certainly has had some bad judgment in the past. From Rags086, Jordan messed up, a Aaron. Oh, that's supposed to say Jordan. Jordan messed up. Hey, Aaron. I mean, I know what it's referencing. I just, I, I don't know. I'm not really hearing it. You're done. Yeah. Hearing it. Yeah. Cause I, in the skit, I think Key and Peele, it says, you done messed up. Hey, Aaron. So you're okay. done. You're done. Okay. Messed up. Yeah. A. You're done. Messed. Okay. Yeah. yeah. You're done. Okay. Sure. These are from the emailers from Brendan Riley Coyote. Okay. Truly Adley deeply. <laughs> All right. That's pretty good. <laughs> Uh, that's that's like a guilty pleasure song. I, I like that song. Uh, and fried green tomatoes, but I guess it's supposed to be freed. Yeah, well, it's, it's it, it works visually if nothing else. Yeah, from Philip, where did you come from, Connor Ijo? Of course. <laughs> from Terrence, I don't know which low or loud this is supposed to be. Do you know what this is, Scott? Why does low always? Friedel like a Battenfield? <laughs> I don't... I feel like it's from a more recent song. But why does Low? Why does Lau always Friedel like a Battenfield? I don't know. Someone tweeted us and let us know what we're missing because obviously we need Chris Towers here and he's not here. From Ryan, Judge, Jury, and Copexecutioner. Gosh. A lot going on there. Yeah. It, it kind of works. Shane the Box Swanson. Mm. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what that's referencing. Sorry. Good job, us. From Bill, looking for Mr. Newtbar. Okay. From Daniel, pinch hit me by B one more time. <laughs> I mean, it's not the greatest use of Bybee's name, but okay. Uh, I like it. That's a pretty good one. From Rich, 
I want my bye back, bye back, bye back ribs. And, but it goes on for a lot longer than that. Yeah. Okay. And technically, I mean, that's uh, that's from Austin Powers, right? I think from one of them. I mean, it's it's from a Chili's commercial. It made originally, been, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. From John, when you're here, Yuri's familiar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, that's a stretch, but all right. Uh, and then from Brian, who requests that we say it like Austin Powers. Yeah, baby. I don't know that that was Austin Powers, but it wasn't great. You have a better one, Scott? Uh, I mean, if you're going to call me out, you got to do it, right? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, Michael Caine was in one of the Austin Powers movies. Was he? Yeah. Played his dad, Nigel Powers. Ah, that's true. Yes, old member. Yeah. It's been a while since I've watched those. I like them. Are you going to give it to nope. Scott or not? No. <laughs> All right, we're going to wrap there. For Scott, I am Frank. Thanks, as always, for tuning in to Fantasy Baseball today. Please make sure to follow and leave a five-star rating on Apple or Spotify. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye. Yeah, bye, B. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data from Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware. Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.